Well, let me just say this. Um, do any of you know who Alfred E. Newman is? Huh? I'll vote for him. <laughs> what, was, what was Alfred E. Newman's, what was his, what was his motto? What? Me, how many of you don't know who Alfred E. Newman is? Okay, let me, let me fill you in. When I was a kid, I used to read a magazine called Mad Magazine. Yeah, remember that? I love me some Mad Magazine. And, 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 and the, 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 the official guy for Mad Magazine was Alfred E. Newman, this pudgy-faced kid, kind of looked like Ted Koppel, Koppel, however you say it. Yeah, Koppel. He's been gone for a while. I forgot how. Yeah. But, you know, and, and that was his, his, his tagline was, what, me worry? So maybe I should entitle the message this morning, what, me worry? And the answer, to, that's the rhetorical question, and the rhetorical questions always have a rhetorical answer, right? And so the answer would be, well, we probably are worrying much too much, much more than we should be. Would you agree with me that we have a tendency to worry? And then we, look around, ourse- we look, look around ourselves in the world and we can see that there are a lot of things that, that might give us pause to, to worry and to, to be, be fretful, to be anxious. But I want to encourage you this morning to, 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 to deal with worry. And I want to encourage you from the scriptures this morning, from Matthew, the sixth chapter. And this, this was kind of precipitated by uh, Barbara running a scripture by me for the reading this week. And then I looked at that scripture earlier in the week. I, you know, I felt the Lord speaking to me that teach on worry on Sunday. And so I want to do that. And in doing that, we already read um, the, 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 the core of it there. Uh, but the thing about it is that uh, uh, there's some context to this that helps us to, uh, to understand a little better. Let me go back here. Uh, there we go. Uh, because in Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount from which we read this morning, there is context that uh, if you go a few verses up, that kind of help us to understand a little bit more of where he's coming from and maybe find a little bit more of a resource as to how we can deal with worry, maybe what the root of that, some of that worry is. And if you begin in verse 19 of uh, Matthew chapter 6, a few verses uh, above what we read this morning, uh, Jesus says this in his teaching. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But then there's some interesting words here in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Then he goes on, and, 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 and I'm telling you, this is, all in this, it, it, this is all related. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he goes on, in the text we read from the CSB says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, et cetera, et cetera. Don't worry about stuff, because there's a lot of stuff, you, there's a lot of stuff that you have no control over, Right? And so there's several things. Basically, you can look at this, and I, I taught this in teaching through the Sermon on the Mount in terms of one love, one loyalty, and one passion. There's a certain singularity of, of, of outlook, a certain singularity of focus as believers that will enable us to, to not be so encumbered with worry because the fact that sometimes we're, we're burdened down with worry because we're really very scattered all over the place with our, with our loyalty, with our affection, with our passion. 
And so Jesus says several things in this passage. And first of all, he says in verse 19, don't store up treasures on earth. And his conclusion is that because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Does that, mean not, does that mean not make money? No. Does that make, mean not save money, not invest, not, not have a retirement fund, not, not desire to live well? That, it doesn't mean that at all. But there's something about a mindset that's bent solely on storing up treasures on earth. And the problem is that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Right? right? And so he says, if, 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 if it's all about money, if it's all about stuff, if it's all about possessions, if it's all about belongings, then the problem is that that will, that will, that will overtake you and overcome you, and that will become the focus of your life. And that will bring its own attendant worries, won't it? It's one thing to trust God and receive his provision. It's one thing to work hard and to, and, and to use what God has given you to, to, to be a blessing to yourself and to your family. It's another thing to be, to be focused on your treasure to the extent that you, you're spending all your time checking your, your portfolio. You're spending all your time worrying about the direction. You know what? I was thinking you know, about the economy, and I know supposedly the economy is on fire right now. Yep. And uh, thank you, President Obama. Uh, um, <laughs> Um, and, but, and, and, and I know that, there's, that they're saying there are indicators that right now that, 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 that look like there might be a possible recession down the road. And that wouldn't surprise me because the, the economy consists of ups and downs. It's this normal part of the cycle. But I thought about it this morning, you know, and I said, you know what? I made it through the Great Recession. I, 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 that, that was, what, about a few years ago. And you know what? I, I got through that. I, I came out all right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, then I thought, then there was, there was the one before that. I think I came out all right with that. I'm looking pretty good, right? I mean, I'm doing all right, right? I mean, there, there was one, and I, I think when I was coming up, when I was a, uh, in my 20s, there was, it was like, it was, there was one, and, there, and there's one every like five or six years probably. I've been through a lot of them. And some of you don't say, yeah, you sure have. No. But think about it. Didn't God bring you through every up, up and down, every trial and tribulation, every, every cycle, every boom, every bust? Some people are they're losing their minds. Oh, God, we're going to have another recession. Yeah, we're going to have one. Why? Because that's the way life works. It's like, we're gonna be, am I ever going to? Yeah, you're going to probably get sick because that's the way life works. You're going to probably have some physical challenges to deal with. Yeah, you're going to probably have some trials and tribulations. But you look back over the course of your life, you realize that God got you through, didn't it? Didn't he? Didn't he? But listen. But, so, first of all, Jesus addresses this, this, this preoccupation with money. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Then he says, going forward, he says, you can't serve God and money. The old word was mammon. And I was a kid, I always wondered what, what mammon was. But it speaks of the kind of earthly riches and property that we may lay up for security for our future by, in, originally the word has to do with entrusting it to another. And so we're cust- we, we generally think of mammon in a negative sense because uh, in this text it kind of comes off that way, but it was not ri- originally understood such. It was uh, an ancient rabbi once used the word mammon when he wrote, let your property, that is the mammon of thy fellow, be dear to thee as thine own. So the idea was someone watching over your property for you. But in time, the meaning of the word changed from a pos- the positive idea of that which is entrusted to the negative idea of that in which a man puts his trust. You see the difference? Originally, it was that which is entrusted, but then it became that in which a man puts his trust. Listen, if I had a million dollars in the bank, I, I, I would be happy, and I would share a few bucks with you. I'd take you to lunch. And, and, and you know what? And if God blessed me with $2 million, I would, I, would, I would have it in the bank, and I would, I would take you to dinner. And if I had $3 million, I, I, would be, I would pay my tithes and be blessed by God and, and help a lot of people. And 
and, and, and live according to what God has blessed me with. But the thing is, I will not put my trust in riches, whether I have $100 in the bank, like I probably do right now, or $100 million in the bank. The, the idea is you don't put your trust in mammon. So it changed to, the, to this idea of that in which a person puts their trust. And it came to mean the wealth or property in which one placed one's trust for the future. And it came to be something that someone um, uh, sought their sense of future fulfillment from. You know, that for some people, all, it's all about their money. It's all about what they have. And if they have it, they're happy. And if they don't, they're falling apart. But I try to live like the Apostle Paul. I, I try to find the contentment in life that comes from being happy in every circumstance. Some of y'all know, remember when you didn't have nothing, you were just about as happy, you're probably happier than you were now, right? When, when you didn't have that car, when you didn't have that house, when you didn't have, all, did you, you didn't have that 401k, you were all right. In fact, maybe now you spend too much time worrying about it, too much time being afraid somebody's going to take it away from you, somebody's going to break it or something. But it's, it's, it has to do with that something that someone allows to take the primary place in their lives, a place that should be only occupied by who? God himself. And so this is what Jesus is, is saying when he's using this negative sense of, of mammon. He's, he's warning us against making it, our earthly treasure the object of misplaced trust. And why is that trust misplaced? Because ultimately, no matter who you are and what you have, it'll ultimately fail us. That trust is misplaced when it draws our hearts away from where they should be and where our devotion should be. But Jesus, get this. And this is why I went up to, to, to bring the context to the, to the worry discourse. He's doing more than just warning us against the dangers of the misplaced trust that involved in laying up treasures for ourselves on earth. He's teaching us to have our hearts oriented in the right way. He's teaching us to have a kingdom of God-focused heart by laying up treasures in heaven. You know what? When you... When you serve God by serving people, when you love God and worship him, when you give to God's work and you give to others in need, when you show love and kindness and, and, and care for other people in the world around you, when you reflect Jesus by, by, by showing that love that, we, that demonstrates the love of God, that is laying up treasures in heaven. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're working two, three jobs trying to get over, but sometimes we need to be making sure that we're investing in that which really matters. Sometimes we're too busy trying to just get the money, and we forget about that treasure in heaven. We forget about what we can be doing. But the, the, this earthly treasure will ultimately fail. And so what he gets to is this. He says, we as his disciples are not to worry, but instead of worrying, what are we to do? We are to trust God. Someone put it like this, worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. But Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. We're not to run after all the stuff around us. He says the pagans, the, the, the people that don't know God, the, 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 the folks out there, they, they're just running after stuff. It's all about the almighty dollar. But what we should be running after is the kingdom. We should seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, and, and its righteousness and everything else we need will be provided. It will be added unto us. So he says, don't store up treasures on earth. You can't love God and, and, and mammon, and you're not to worry, which has to do with running after and seeking after the things that, guess what? God knows what you need more than you do. He knows what you need before you ask, and God is more than willing and able to lovingly, graciously provide. But then in verse 23, again, I think a, fur a further key to this passage, 
He says in verse um, 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Um, you know, you ever have double vision? I actually had an eye condition, and then it got to a point where in the morning for the first 15 or 20 minutes of the day when I first woke up, I would, I would, I, I would, I would be double. And one morning I had to run to Starbucks at like 5 a.m. to get some coffee for the house, right? And I'm driving, I'm saying to myself, hmm, there's two traffic lights there. Well, there used to be one. <laughs> and, I, and I says to myself, oh, look at those two cars. They're just like, they're kind of emerging. In. I said, you know what, Josh, you, you pro- for right now you probably shouldn't drive when you first wake up in the morning. But you know what, what double vision looks like, right? Uh, uh, but he, he, he says if the eye is, 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 is clear, haplous is the Greek word, sound, healthy, sing, and it has to do with singleness. And so the distinction is between double vision and single vision. You know what I'm saying? Between seeing double and, and seeing clearly and seeing in a singular sense, right? And so uh, it describes an eye that, that doesn't see double as it does when it, sometimes when your eye is infected or, or, or ill. But when the eye accomplishes the purpose of seeing as it should, then it is, in the words that Jesus uses, this single. I used to, under, I used to wonder, what is a single eye? You know, you only have one? No, but it is, it is a healthy single eye, and it's called single in this verse in the moral sense. And so the eye that is clear represents a heart that has single-minded devotion. That's what he's talking about. And so it's, it is having a clear vision. And see, one of the aspects of worry is that we're pulled all over the place because our hearts are divided. Because sometimes we love our stuff more in the moment than we love God. Sometimes we're preoccupied with, we're preoccupied with stuff, but not, we don't care about people. We're preoccupied with, with our financial kingdom and our monetary well-being and our status and our, you know, that kind of thing. But we're not... We're, we're, we're divided because we're not so concerned about God and his kingdom and his, and his people and, and, and the people in the world around us that we're called to love and to serve. And so our spiritual eyesight is, 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 is you know, yeah, I mean, just, you know, cross, if you can cross your eyes and try to, and, and try to read those words on the wall, right, it's, it's not going to work out very well. But in the spiritual sense, uh, our spiritual eyesight is the same way, and thus heavenly things are seen therefore with a blur, right, uh, if we're also preoccupied with material things. And again, I'm not saying don't have things, and I'm not saying don't work hard and save hard and, 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 and use your talents and your abilities and what God has given you to, to, to be a blessing to yourself, but the idea is where is your heart? Who do you love and what do you love, right? Can you, you think it's possible as a child of God to have money without loving money? Amen. Do you think it's possible to have things without loving things? Do you think it's possible to prosper financially and to, to enjoy the blessings of God in life, but yet not have those things seize your heart and be the, the focus of your devotion and, your, and, and your, all of your attention. And so the eye here speaks of an outlook of the heart. A single eye means one that is fixed on, on the spiritual things. It's the opposite of the double-minded person. Remember in James uh, 1.8 speaks of a, a double-minded person when he says, ask God for wisdom, but ask uh, uh, with a single-mindedness. And so we have in this text, in this passage, we have number one, one love signified by a heart in the right place. One loyalty, right, focused on the kingdom, not mammon, not money, and serving God and God alone, right? And then one passion, and that passion is not worry. Worry can be kind of a, a, some kind of strange analog to passion. And sometimes we're really consumed with worry, and it's eating us alive from the inside out, right? It's, it's, 
undermining our health and our well-being, but, but we're called to have one passion, and that's not worry, and that's not passion for stuff, and passionately, passionately grasping and seeking after stuff, but one passionate pursuit of God and his kingdom rule and reign in our lives. And so all of that brings us to a place where we have a heart whose treasure is in the right place. We have eyes and clear, sharp focus on what really matters, and our life is oriented around the pursuit of God's kingdom, the proper priorities of putting first things first. And so it's from this that we get to the outcome of the passage. We need not and should not worry. We really can live one day at a time, and that doesn't preclude reasonable planning. But you know what? Planning is is one thing, but preoccupation is another. So he says, don't worry about tomorrow. In verse 34, he says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for us. Some of you you right now, you probably, you might have your phone in your lap, and you might be looking at something, figuring out something for tomorrow, something that got you down where you worry about the bills you got to pay. And, you know, you plan and make sure you pay that bill. Because if you don't pay it, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> but really, you know, t- today there's enough to do today. There's enough trouble of its own today, right? Uh, and you know what I remember what the writer in Lamentations wrote, and it brings encouragement to me because he says, God's mercies are what? New every morning. He says, great is your faithfulness. So if... Every day brings its own trouble, and every day has its own difficulty and own challenges. And so God is telling, Jesus is teaching us, God is challenging us to, to live in such a way that we, that we deal with the issues of today, and we don't get preoccupied, you know, some, you know sometimes we're, we're way ahead of our situation, and we're worrying about things, 99% of which will probably never happen. But if God's mercies are new every morning, then every day I get up, I live that day in the moment. And I, and, and, amen. So let me give you real quick eight reasons not to worry from this text. Let's, let's go down. Number one, because life is more than food and the body's more than clothes. Right? Jesus said that, but that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, really, is life all about money? Well, for some people. But for the child of God, is it to be? For, for the Christian, for the believer? And the body's about more than clothes. Number two, Jesus says in verse 26, God feeds the birds and you know what he says? And if, if you're any animal rights activist in here, don't get mad at me. But Jesus says, and I take his words since he, you know, God made them. He says, you're greater than them, and you are more important than them to God. God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? Number three, worry is pointless because why? It doesn't add a minute to your life. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. It will take time off of your life. Right? And for those of you that want to be a little taller, a little bit more buff, it doesn't add a cubit to your stature. And I don't know what a cubit is, and I don't care, but it doesn't add an inch to your height, or it, put, it doesn't pack on any, 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 any muscle on your biceps. It doesn't add anything, and it doesn't add a minute to your life. Number four, if God clothes grass that is temporary, then he you are eternal, and so he, how much more will he clothe the eternal you? Number five, it is unbelievers. He says, the pagans run after all these things. Think about it. How must Christians look to people outside the faith? You ever thought about that? Because they run after people. 
The pagans, that's all, that's all they got. But you and I have something more, something of much greater value. We have a different inheritance, a spiritual one that is eternal. And so unbelievers are anxious about food and clothing, but you're not an unbeliever, so don't be anxious. You're not a pagan. Number six, your, and this is from verse 32, your father knows what you need. Sometimes I heard people pray, you know, I mean, you know, folks are praying really long, really detailed prayers. And they're, and they're telling God all the backstory and the details. Lord, bless Sister Sue, because you know her husband had left her. And what had happened was the other kid, and, and then you know that's when they, when they picked up her car, and, and Lord, and you know that that really upset her because her, 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 you know, she was abused as a child. And Lord, you know also, and, we just, and you know you go on and on, and God, I've got something, I know that. <laughs> just ask for what you want. You don't have to tell him all the backstory. <laughs> Lord, you know, I got in this situation because you know what, what are in? I'm, 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 God, I know, what do you need? He knows what you need. Number seven, from verse 33, when you seek God first, he will provide for all of your other needs. When you seek God first, he will provide for all of your other needs. And then finally, number eight, there's enough to be concerned about today. So leave tomorrow's concerns for when? Tomorrow. So from our little synthesis of this passage of, of Matthew 6, we get the idea that if our hearts are in the right place, if our vision is clear, if our passion is properly placed, then we can live, we really can, free from worry and the confidence that God will take care of us. You know, I was thinking about this subject, and I, I remembered that David had prayed in the Scriptures in a way that you, can, you and I can claim with confidence for ourselves. We can claim the same thing to be true of us. And, uh, and David wrote this in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, and this is his prayer. He says this to God. He says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And I love this, th th this verse. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, do you hear that? Uh, this, is, this is understood to be true of, of, of you and me. God's own eyes beheld your substance long before you were physically formed in your mother's womb. You existed in God's mind fully before you existed physically. Because God planned you and purposed you before time, before the foundation of the earth, God planned and purposed you. And whatever... God purposes is as real when he purposes it as, as, as if it's already done. And not only that, he planned every single one of your days for you in advance and fashioned them before you lived in them. And all of that was to occur, all that was to occur in them long before any one of them were realized on a calendar. All your yesterdays were in his plan. All your tomorrows are in his plan, and even now, today, even this very moment was in God's divine plan for you from eternity, brought about just as he sovereignly intended for you. How precious you must be to God. 
How immeasurably valuable are you to him? God was not only involved in planning you from eternity past, but now that you exist in creation as his beloved creature, he remains involved in every aspect of your life by maintaining that, that's you, which he so lovingly created. God himself serves as the basis of your continued existence. Because the Bible tells us in Acts 17, 28, that it's in him that we live and in him that we move and in him that we have our being. Come on. You should be glad about the fact that your father watches over you all the time and sustains you in every way. He cares for you continually as his workmanship, as his handiwork. The Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So one love signified by a heart in the right place, one loyalty, focus on the kingdom, not mammon, serving only God, one passion, not worry, but passionate pursuit of God and his rule. What do you have to worry about? What do we have to be afraid of? When we know that God cares about us, when we know that every aspect of our being, when we, the Bible says this, that, God, that Jesus upholds everything by his powerful word. He sustains all things. He maintains all things. Don't you think that he can keep you together? Don't you think that he can take you through the trials that you might face tomorrow? Don't you think that no matter what you are, are faced with in the days and weeks and months and years to come, that God can take care of you, God will provide for you, that he has your future in his hand and that he has good plans for you? Remember what he told his people in Jeremiah? He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows. So why, why, why? So, so I say, like, I, I'll just go, go all Alfred E. Newman on y'all. What, me worry? <laughs> what? Really? When, before they found out that ulcers were caused by H. pylori, it, it, and I, I'm sure there's gastric distress that's caused by worry. People, ulcers are always associated with that. And so now they can give you Tagamet and give you and treat the, 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 the microbe. We don't see people as much with the burning ulcers and drinking milk and stuff like we did back in the 50s and 60s, before I was born. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you know what worry, you know what worry. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Lord. No, that was not before. Before I was grown. <laughs> before I was grown. <laughs> But you know what worry does to you. Yeah. Worry will, will rob you of, of, of your peace of mind. Worry will, it will cause you to become physically ill. Worry brings about cancer, and it brings distress to your body and to your mind and to your emotions. Worry will, will sap you of your vitality. Worry will aid you before your time. Worry will, will rob you of, of relationships and, and, and rob you of your peace and your joy. Worry will, 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 will infect you like a, like a virus if you allow it to. Why worry? Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. And we say, but that's hard, right? That's why we realize, get your focus on Christ. Lock into God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything you need will be. And then you, and you learn, you learn to, to trust him. You learn to walk in faith. You learn to, to, to keep on stepping. And you learn to put worry behind you. Amen? Amen. Amen. One love, one loyalty, one passion. How many of you would say, Pastor, I, I want to I I live in the freedom found in those words where Jesus says, do not worry about you. How many of you want that? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people today. Thank you for your word. Jesus, your teaching is, your teaching is, is, is poignant here. You said, don't worry about your life. Uh, 
Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about those things because God cares for get God cares for His creation. He takes care of it, and He certainly will take care of us. But Lord, we live in times when there's a, the, we're inundated by good news and but more bad news. Um, there are so many things on the horizon, things that human beings should be concerned about, things like the environment, things like the climate, things like like the economy, things like like justice in our in our in our in our, in our nation, in our world. Human trafficking is something that we should be concerned about. There are a lot of things that we, particularly as believers, we should care about. But we're not to worry about anything. Where we can, we're to act. Where we can, we're to, we're, we're, to, we're to do what we need to do when we need to do it. But worry doesn't accomplish anything. So help us to remember that, Lord. And I, in, in sharing this word today, there may be someone here this morning who is going through a, a season in their lives when they're being inundated by, by, by a situation that's caused them to worry a lot. Lord, I hope that that, man, that that man, that woman, that boy, that girl would get from this, this, this message and this service today the fact that God intimately cares about them. And in that realization, Lord, help us to move forward knowing we can really trust. We can, we can lean upon you. We can actually, as the Bible says, we can cast every care on you because you care for us. We can do what Paul writes about in Philippians 4. We can, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. He says, and when you do that, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will keep our hearts and minds. He tells us, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Pray. So, Lord, this week, help us to remember every day to bring our needs and our concerns to you, to ask for what we need. You said in the seventh chapter of Matthew, you said to ask, to seek, to knock. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Lord, help us to, to, to keep that in mind, to ask for what we need, to seek what, what, we, what, we're, what, we're, what we're seeking in life, and to, to knock on the door, knowing that you, you're the one that holds the keys. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. We thank you and we praise you. And everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.